Greetings, traveller, and welcome to episode 10 of the Dunkern podcast. It seems like no time ago I was recording episode one, and now here we are in double figures. So thank you to all the listeners who have stuck with us and with me so far. And indeed, thank you to all the new listeners who continue to join us from all around the world. We had a great response to the last episode with Peter Sumad. And if you are a new listener, make sure you listen back to previous episodes, which feature a variety of talented and inspiring guests from across the genres of music, poetry, comedy and art. This is actually the penultimate podcast for this series all together now. Ah, and the episode after this is the video podcast special at Imagine Festival. My guests for that are the artist Kieran Harper and poet Raquel McKee. The price for that event is not only right, it is perfect as tickets are free. You heard that correctly, free and are available from the Imagine Festival website, which is imaginebelfast.com. But while I do encourage you to tune in to the video stream on Wednesday the 24th of March, the audio podcast will be online afterwards as normal for those of you who prefer to have the podcast only in your ears. But speaking of videos, you may have seen me last night hosting the Dunkerns Take Two St. Patrick's Day Trad Music Special, and you may be wondering how I recorded this podcast so quickly, well, not to shatter the podcast illusion, but the Take Two hosting was a pre-record and I was in fact at the Dunkern last Saturday to record that brief St. Patrick's Day appearance. If you follow the Dunkern on social media, you may have seen the photographs of the specially designed arts booths. So thanks to the Arts Council NI, we've been able to make 18 booths which allow us to accommodate three six-person classes which will be held physically in the Dunkern with each person safe and distance in their own little booth. The booths were designed by Orla Maguire from the interior design company Oscar and Oscar and we're also hoping that we can get a similar setup for performances with bespoke booths for tables of four people, three people, couples and singles for when there can be a safe phased return to live performances. So while I was at the Dunkern last Saturday to record the bits for the St Patrick's broadcast, myself and the film crew got, how shall we say, volunteered for a photo shoot with the new booths this was intended to show people how the classes will operate and basically meant giving us each a booth along with various art supplies. And of course, chaos ensued because then the messing started. So kudos to the photographer Stan for getting a few shots that make it look like a real workshop group and not just a bunch of messers. And the photographs are still up on the Dunkern social media channels should you wish to go back and see what I'm talking about. But the booths themselves look fantastic and I think it's exciting that we're getting ready now for a possible return to physical events and workshops. Sticking with the workshops, the current Dunkern poetry workshops have been continuing. In last week's workshop, I'd started to talk about the editing process. And editing may be the most difficult part of poetry to explain because it's kind of a fluid process, more so than just getting ideas and then doing the writing. But I think I'm doing my best to explain it and I'm doing that by mainly showing what I do, which may not be the best way to be fair, but like any creative process, you have to find what works best for you. And in case you're wondering about the other workshops and weaving and photography and illustration and all the rest of it, I can honestly say I have no idea because I've got enough things to be worrying about. And of course, that is a joke there for a cheap laugh. In all honesty, I don't know that much about the workshops other than the feedback from the participants has been really positive. But more importantly, I do know that the Dunkern management team are already starting organising more workshops for the coming months and beyond. So make sure you're subscribed to the Dunkern's e-newsletter and also following us on social media as there is already a waiting list for people keen to join the sessions, even those 
poetry sessions with me as people seem to think that I know stuff. Speaking of which, I personally am also in the process of organising readings and events for the summer and beyond, and it looks like I could be appearing at festivals in Cork and Wexford, Donegal, Armagh, but never actually having to leave my house in Belfast. So on one hand, I'll miss the excitement of the travelling and the adventure and the buzz of the festival, but on the other, I get to do more of what I love best, which is having a good long sit down on the sofa. But once all those festivals are confirmed, you'll see the details on my website and social media, and I think that is you up to date with the Dunkern and the wacky world of Colin Hazard. Which leads me on to this episode's podcast guest, who is Emer Maguire. I was delighted to have this chat with Emer, as she is a really unique performer, which is shown best by the biography on her website, which lists her as a presenter, musical comedian, event MC, trainer, keynote speaker, and science communicator. That last description is perhaps the most important, as that's where Emer's main creative journey started as she unexpectedly won a science communication competition called Fame Lab in 2015. And from there, she has gone on to perform a run of sold-out shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, read four times at TEDx, present three series of a science-based show on BBC Radio Ulster, and perform her exceptional blend of science, comedy and music at numerous festivals across the UK and Ireland. In amongst the chat, you'll hear snippets of some of Emer's songs, but as you can tell, we've got a lot to talk about. So I'll pass over now to me and Emer having a chinwag earlier this week. Colin, are you there? Can you hear me? Colin, are you there? Can you hear me? Colin, are you there? Can you hear me? Thank you, Colin, for that handover and for your never-ending charity work, which I know you don't like to talk about. But more importantly, I'm joined across broadband connections by the presenter, musical comedian, event MC, trainer, keynote speaker, and science communicator, Emer <laughs> Maguire. Emer, hello, welcome, and how are you? How's it going, Colin? I'm I'm good. That was a good deep breath before before that introduction there. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing that before we started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just um just uh, I think getting on the same as everyone else. In, in lockdown just find it all pretty pretty strange but yeah I'm generally I'm doing okay I'm Great. having an okay Monday yeah so far uh, one thing <laughs> I didn't mention in amongst all that introduction was that you are from the fine town of Straban and I'm going to mm -hmm. ask a question now which I've been told reliably informed is the lingo of Straban <laughs> which is what's the bars oh right. well that wasn't too bad w where are you from because it doesn't have quite the same pizzazz whenever you said you need to you need to have a bit more of a, a Strabanistan accent. Um, I haven't heard anyone say what's bars, but but I would hear people say, "You got any bars for me?" Um, but I do feel like I'm probably only intermediate level in Straban because after my, my fine years of primary, I went to school in Derry, so I feel like I've missed out on all the colloquialisms that I, you would have picked up in, in big school, but I've definitely heard Manties and stuff asking about the bars. Yeah, so it's basically what's the crack, but uh, better with a slightly alcohol-infused tinge to it, obviously. Okay, yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought it meant what the crack. I'm actually from Banbridge. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The expression we have up there is if someone does or says something stupid is, are you from the town? Oh, really? That reminds me, pre-lockdown last year, the year the year before, I was at um, Stendhal and <laughs> it was me and my group of friends and it just made me think of this. This guy came up to us and he was so lovely, um, really, really nice. And he was chatting away to us and then he said to us, are you afraid of the town? And we were like, 
excuse me, what? And he kept saying it over and over and over again. And he was asking us where we're from the town, but we couldn't really, it must have meant the, the great town of Limavati, because that's where Stendhal's, you know, based. But I couldn't understand why he was asking it, but you've kind of you've kind of cleared that up. He maybe just thought we we're all idiots or something. Yeah, yeah, so he's clearly giving you a slag in there. And totally, we didn't even notice. Yeah, blissfully unaware. <laughs> Two years later, I've just realised, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and obviously, what's the bars? I assumed it meant what's the crack, um, but obviously it's got the, the bars in there, the inference on the public houses. And I know this podcast mm-hmm. is going out on St. Patrick's Week. Are you someone who enjoys a trip around the bars? Do you celebrate St. Patrick's Day? Uh, yeah, I usually yeah I usually do celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Um, would have would I have a couple of drinks to St. Patrick's Day? I think the best St. Patrick's I went to did I go to it in Dublin once? She can't even. I've obviously been on that many nights out and things. I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> but no, no, I do. I do enjoy it. Um, the the last kind of St Patrick's Day ish thing that I had was uh, just pre lockdown as well. Maybe two years ago. Maybe slightly more than that. Um, I organised my sister. I was the maid of honour at her wedding, uh, and she had a a home hen and an away hen, um, which is apparently a thing. So I do organise those, and the home hen was around the time of St. Patrick's Day. So we had a bit of a, a St. Patty's theme, which was great. And we definitely had lots of drinks and things that night. It was really, really good. But um, generally I would kind of, you know, I'd be happy to go on nights out and things and like to like to have a couple of nights out with my, my football mates and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, especially St. Patty's. I think you kinda I think you're kind of obliged to go out in St. Patrick's if you kinda have that type of personality. Definitely, yeah. You know, I I didn't even know St. Patrick's celebrations were a thing growing up in Banbridge. It wasn't until I moved to Belfast and I went to my Oh first... my God! I mean, it was great, nice to have the day off and all that, but we didn't really acknowledge it as a day of celebration. Colin, that is crazy because this is exactly, oh my God, you're the Banbridge version of me. I didn't know the 12th was a thing. I honestly <laughs> did not know the 12th was a thing. All, all I knew was you know, there was some random day in the summer where, you know, you, you didn't go to dairy shopping because it was a wee bit busier than usual. But mm. I did not have a clue what it was. And then I was up in uni in, in first year. Um, and the first summer, there was this fuss about, you know, there's the 12th, there's the 12th, and you go home for the 12th and all this. And I was like, what the hell are people talking about? Because I never, do you know, if I had been like in the workforce at that time, I might have questioned, oh, how can we get this day off? But mm. I'd never even heard of it. I didn't know it was a thing. So, You've obviously had the same, but on the other the other side of the coin was St. Paddy's. Yeah, well, at, at university, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day, but that was just like, we, any excuse really at that time for a party? You know, it was just like, 100%. Oh, it's a Wednesday, let's have a drink. <laughs> uh, 100%. But then when I came to Belfast, I went to my first St. Patrick's Day proper kind of festival party, and we were outside White's Tavern, and it was just, it was lit, I believe the young people say. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. DJ started kind of just after lunchtime and he played the Water Boys Hole of the Moon and there was pints in the air, boys with their shirts oh. off. The whole place just erupted. But we're not here to talk about St. Patrick's Day. Um, I mentioned a lot of things in that introduction. And before we get on to the comedy and the science and all the rest of it, I want to ask you just about what life was like growing up in Straban. Was it a creative household? Um, Are you from a big family? I am from a big family. Well, what I think of was a big family, maybe it's... It's not big to other people, but there are uh, four of us. So I've got three siblings um, and then my mum and dad. <laughs> Am I from a creative household? I feel like I definitely 
was always pushing for it to be a creative household. Um, so my my dad, I don't think he'll be upset by me saying this, is not creative in the slightest in any way. As far as I know, doesn't have any interest <laughs> or talent in terms of being creative, um, but is very smart. Obviously, that's his, his kind of thing. But my mom, on the other hand, would be creative um, and she's musical. And, you know, she kind of always sang and um, she's a she's a really she's a a lovely artist as well. She's great at art and things like that. So she would be creative. So I definitely think that um, all kind of creativity has um, come from my mum. So mum would always tell me that 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 her and my kind of granddad and my kind of aunties or not not my aunties but my mom and my granddad and, and my mom's siblings and, and things like that would always kind of be in their relations houses and do this almost like spoken word type thing mm. so I think it was like poetry it was kind of a mix of poetry and music um and, and the thing is my mom then would be quite she would be musical in terms of playing piano and singing things but you know she would always be quite good I remember writing poems and things and I remember when I was much much younger she wrote a leaving poem for someone who was leaving and I remember reading it and thinking oh my god this is incredible like I didn't know that my mom could do that and um my interest and my passion has always been kind of around music as well but pairing music with writing so my skills growing up were always around English and writing and writing stories and, and, and poetry and, and all those things, um, which is kind of then kind of then naturally amalgamated into uh, songwriting and writing music and things. So I kind of growing up, um, my, my three siblings, my big sister, Kitty, um, played the piano for a little while, but, you know, isn't she's not, she's not musical. She would never say she's a musical person. Mm. Uh, she, didn't, she didn't like it, as far as I know. My, then my brother, Connor, played piano, didn't like it, then played trombone and is, I think, very, very good at it. You know, he's great at trombone, that kind of thing. And my youngest brother was given an instrument too, but I think gave it up pretty quickly. So while they can all sing, and they're probably all naturally a little bit musical, they didn't, none of them had the interest, really, that I had. So whenever we were kind of playing games and things growing up, I always wanted us to um, play games where we were a band and I was writing this music, you know, and then we would go and perform this or, you know, I'd want to, you know, <laughs> play Westlife where we were all Westlife and I would want to, you know, to arrange everyone's singing parts and all that kind of thing. Um, or we would have always been doing kind of artistic things as well. So I'd say it was definitely a creative house, but I, I very much wanted it to be a creative house. Um, and I would have loved any time, you know, my mom would have gone down and played the piano sometimes. And I, I just really had a strong interest in that. And, and even now, you know, my mom would have, you know, I know my mom had told me whenever she was much younger, she was in a choir called Ventures 2 Choir. And they kind of traveled around a bit and um, they'd gone at one point to Norway or something like that. And they'd, they'd, they'd done a bit of singing and things. And, for, you know, after that, my mom was a teacher, but she always kind of kept them with the music and she would have sang it weddings and that kind of thing and and she she would still sing like she's um straban have a, a chamber choir that they've had in recent years and my mom would be part of that and things so it's definitely there's definitely a bit of creativity in my background um it's more it's it's very much more so the kind of what i'm saying about me and my granddad and things going to those houses and and do you know my mom describing them doing that poetry and it all being that kind of spoken word type thing and I think it's all been very by ear and that kind of thing and no one in my family I don't think has really studied music in a way I think it's more of a 
you know, kind of a, a handing down of a, a bit of talent over the over the generations, you know. So, which which I think is nice. I think it's lovely because it's just quite a natural thing. It's funny you should mention about how you were playing with your siblings and trying to form a band. Because when I was researching this podcast, and it might surprise a few people to know that research and planning is done for the podcast. But I was looking at your YouTube channel, and there are quite a few videos on there going back. 10, 11 years where you are singing and playing guitar um, with your siblings and on your own. And as well as covers, there's also quite a few original songs that you've put out there. So is that something that a young Emer was aspiring to do, to be this singer-songwriter? Yeah, so I, I don't think I necessarily... I mean, I knew performing was a job and, and um, you know, being a singer <laughs> is a job. But I didn't really understand, I guess, singer-songwriter, but from a very, very young age, you know, from like, I remember five, six, seven, eight, sitting down and my interest was writing stories, um, writing poems and things like that. That was always where, where my skills were. Um, <clears throat> but then as I became a little bit older and I, and I, I realized that I, I kind of had this natural inclination or, or talent for music. Um, and I started to go to, you know, I started when I was seven, I went to music lessons and, and um, for piano and, and I kind of started to pair the music with the with the writing and things like that and, and I just really loved it and it was just I always remember like whenever my sister was playing with whatever she was playing with um my option or my idea for what I wanted to do to play was uh, get a piece of paper and sit down and write a song or um write a poem that I would then turn into a song you know or, or write a story you know that was just very much not something that I was doing uh, specifically because I was like I must write a song it was something that I did because it was just fun for me and it was just enjoyable um, and we you know we had this we had this band when I was very very young and and I kind of you know the cool kids we called ourselves which was a terrible name um, and was, then changed her name to the red. <laughs> was a kid spelled with a Z at the end? How did you know, Colin? Had you heard of us? I just had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool kids with a Z at the end and then later changed it to the Red Devils because of my affinity for Man United. Um, but but we kind of just, I basically just wrote a songs and then said to my sister, right, you're singing this part and Sinead, you're singing this part and, and Catherine, you're singing this part and, and I'll do the rest, you know. So I kind of just had this. And that, and that was quite strange because I was a very shy child, you know, so... It was, it was strange for me to kind of be at the helm of something and, and giving out parts and all that, but I must have just been so passionate about it. Um, and I then, whenever I was, what age you, when you make your, your, your confirmation, 11 or 12, I remember making my confirmation and being so excited to make my confirmation because when you make your confirmation, you get given money. Um, and with that money, I was going to buy a guitar and I was going to learn how to play guitar. And the boy on my street that I was very good friends with, Connell, had a guitar. I don't know if it was his brother's, but he had brought me over to his house and he had showed me him playing, you know, the opening line to um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, just those four mm. notes. And I was like, oh my God, this is just the coolest thing ever. Like, you know, if he can do that, no offense, Connell, but if, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> um, and I was like, and I could kind of, I could play all these songs that I've written. So, I made my confirmation, was buzzing all day, you know, made my made my profit, um, went to Argus and brought bought this cheapest purple, horrible electric guitar <laughs> that I absolutely, oh my God, I loved it. I was so proud of it. Um, 
and I started to to learn and I went to I went to maybe a, my mum sent me maybe to a couple of lessons and then after that I just taught myself um and it was really it was just amazing and I, and I loved it and since then I constantly was writing songs about anything and, and everything and that was from when I was about 11 or 12 um and I just got really into songwriting and and composing and things like that and from that point on I wanted to be a songwriter um, I would like to have been a performer as well on top of that but as I say I was really shy and didn't think that I would have the ability to be a performer for that reason you know because of stage fright and things like that but I really really wanted to be um, a songwriter and then through school I kind of I kind of pursued that by um, you know choosing choosing music and then kind of choosing music for a level we got to choose you know for a level if you, you got to choose kind of either just composition or like composition where you got to be in this little recording studio which was great that we had at school and and you got to use kind of logic and you got to kind of mix and master your own version of a song and all that kind of thing which I did and I just absolutely loved it and I was constantly writing songs and I've I've just kind of I guess spent my whole life writing songs and it's it was never necessarily for anyone to hear them it was just that I really really enjoyed it and I just felt totally compelled I suppose to to do it you know I'm just online talking to people I gets me some wine end up stalking some people I'm trying to find my insta bay then I see your picture and I'm like hashtag hey you like taking photos of yourself in the mirror me too you also like taking photos of your mediocre food you even have pictures of you and your dog out on your bikes I don't like dogs but I could use them in my photo for likes then I see it cue my heart break this must be a mistake who the is she in your Instagram feed? No, it should be me. I've been 50 weeks deep in your photos for days. Maybe we should get engaged. There's like 30 different ways for me to find your address. You've talked about the, obviously the songwriting, but as well as that, the stories and the poetry and your interest in English and music and creative kind of forces. But then one of the most interesting things I think in your bio is science communicator. So were you a, a big science fan at the time as well? Not at all, I hated it. <laughs> Absolutely. I really like, see at school, when I, when I was very, very young in school, I probably had a little bit of a, a real intrigue or obsession a little bit with space and with planets right but for some reason I was I don't know why but maybe it was because English and music and things took over and people kept telling me how good I was at those things I kind of forgot about the science and then I've never liked I've never liked maths ever um and I really don't feel some people say well you like what you're good at you dislike what you're what you're bad at and I know I was good at English and things like that but I was equally good at maths. I mean, I was I was really, really good at maths and things, but I just find it so boring and so dull. Um, and whenever I started learning about science, I, I just find that the science in school was just like bored the life out of me. And I, I kind of like to know 
I'm very inquisitive and I like to know how things work. But in the science that you learn in school, you don't necessarily always learn how things work. Like you learn these complicated formulas and like it's not very tangible and it's 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 not very applicable to real life and things. And I just didn't like it and it didn't click with me and, and I didn't enjoy it. Um, and I kind of went through school hating science, really. I really, really didn't like it. And even, you know, even for A-level, I know people tend to do, if, if, if people do A-levels, they tend to do a customary biology if they want a bit of a mix. Um, like, I didn't even do that. Like, I just, you know, at school, did English, did, did music. I did do psychology because I, like, learned about human behavior and things. And like, I picked religion or something at random and then, and then dropped out because I hated it. So I just had no interest. Um, so it is really weird that I'm doing science communication. And I kind of got into it by accident, you know? And I had applied for uh, an undergraduate in speech and language therapy. And I picked that at random and I didn't know there was any science in it at all. Mm. And I kind of thought, you know, speech and language, you know, language communication, that'll be, that'll be the big part of it. And then, you know, the first day we were making brains out of plasticine and, you know, the first few modules were like neurology and things. And I was like, I have made a terrible mistake, yeah, you know. Overwhelmed. Um, oh, I just, I was just like, I did not know this was what it was going to be like. Um, <laughs> but then I absolutely just fell in love with the neurology and the anatomy. Really, I just, it all made sense to me. And I think it was because... I'm a very concrete person and the stuff you learn in school was so abstract for me. Whereas the anatomy that we were talking about was in terms of how people communicate and the neurology was in terms of how people communicate. And, and those things just made sense to me. And I really fell in love with it. And I decided that after that, I was gonna go to, I went to Queens and did a master's in clinical anatomy, which was, um, anatomy that is clinically and surgically relevant and it's all very visual and it was all based on dissection and things like that and it was all very you know what you could see was what you were learning about and I just found it fascinating and and from there that's where I got into the the science communication after I had that master's. And I know um, you probably have to explain this to me again but there was a big turning point I believe in 2015 when you won Fame Lab. Uh, just checking that's what it's called and um, so what, what was that competition? Oh, yeah. So it was a science communication competition. Um, so basically, I saw this advertisement for a science communication competition called FEMA. And I just, it said, on it, could you explain a scientific concept in three minutes, right? Could you explain this concept and be, um, have good content, be clear and be charismatic? <clears throat> and I thought to myself, well, I love writing. I could write a great script and that'll be good content and it'll be clear. And I thought, could I be charismatic for three minutes? Probably not. But um, I had real nerves and stuff at the time about anything that was public speaking related or anything that was just any focus on me, really, to be honest, and in that kind of way. And, and it said kind of that if you got through, you would get to go to this public speaking masterclass. And I thought, this is a major flaw that I feel that I have as a person. Um, I would be a wee bit of a perfectionist and think, well, if there's something wrong, you, you, I mean, you, you can try and make an effort to fix it. 
Um, and that's just how it would be. And I thought, well, this is something wrong with me. So I would like to try and improve it. So it'd be great to go to this communication masterclass. So of course, uh, went to the masterclass and it was very helpful, but I mean, I was like, I didn't even want to speak at the masterclass because I felt like I was so shy and everyone else was so loud and vivacious. And, and, and I was felt like I was so flat in comparison, which is fine because everyone's different, but it really kind of, it kind of makes you just feel like you shouldn't be there. Um, but that was fine. And then it was the, the FameLab final in Northern Ireland. So what you had to do to get into this FameLab competition was you had to submit a three minute video of you talking about a scientific concept um, and like make it interesting and all this crack, right? So I uh, had written what I thought. I mean, I said to my family, right, here are all these topics I think are really interesting in science to talk about. And it was like, it's all these things like, so why do we kiss? Why do we dance? You know, why do humans have body hair? You know, it's just all these things that I've always been like, oh, I wonder, wonder why we do that. Um, so I, I said to my family, you know, what are you thinking? Everyone, I got, I was made them all vote on a topic and they were all like, science kissing sounds really fun and funny and blah, blah, blah. So that was fine. Um, so I decided if I got in, I was going to do a talk on that, but you had to send an entry video. So I recorded a video of me talking about why it was called monkey business, why apes can't talk. And obviously I was coming from a background as a speech language therapist. I had just I'd been doing my dissertation on why apes and humans are basically the same, you know, 98.5% the same DNA, yet they can't talk and we can. And it's such a massive difference in us. And why is that the difference that we have? And why is that what makes us human? So I wrote a, a, a three minute talk on that and you had to send this video entry. And I wrote the script, did it all. And then was like, do you know what? I'm not going to bother with that. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to take a video, and I don't know how to speak to the camera, and I don't know how to do this, and I'm not going to be good at it, and blah blah blah. And the the entrance um, cutoff was actually New Year's Eve. It was midnight on, on New Year's, so I was at this party, and I was saying to my partner at the time, oh, I'm kind of raging because I've written that script, and oh, like I'm like such a chicken like I, I can't I won't just go and do it and blah 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 and I will just complain about it and then I'll, I'll complain that I didn't do it and all this here and generally just being pretty hard on myself my partner says wise up go up the stairs and do it and just you know just send it in if you don't get through no one will ever see it and that was kind of the thing for me I thought right no one else will ever see this video because it's unlikely that I'll get into this competition so that was fine. So I sent it in at the party, like after a few drinks, and <laughs> just sent it in before midnight. I forgot all about it. It was kind of like a weight had been lifted. Um, because I kind of saw that as a win myself, that I had kind of put myself forward, and that and that was fine. And then kind of a couple of weeks later, I got this call and it was like, Hey yeah, congratulations, you're you're through the Northern Ireland final of Fame Lab. And I was like, What are you talking about? And they were like, Oh, you're a monkey business, but you you're through to the final. And I nearly had a heart attack and was like, right, okay, great. But I was so, so anxious at that point. Um, and then I went to the masterclass and then I turned up on the night, on the, on the final night. And um, it was me, one other girl who was an American exchange student who was much older than me. And as far as I was concerned, I was like, she must be a genius. She's here from an American university. So mm -hmm. it was us two. And then it was these eight men. But the men were like, one of them was like, physics professor from Queens one of them was like a consultant in the Royal and you know so I was just feeling very insignificant and very kind of um very much and uh, you know not even not even good enough to be an underdog if you know what I mean 
So the only saving grace was that I was up first and I was like, no, I'm I'm dropping out. Like, I'm not going. I can't do it. There's all these people here and the black box is full and blah, blah, blah. And everyone kind of told me to wise up. And it was only it was only three minutes. So I was having an absolute panic about three minutes. Um, so I, I also went up on the stage and did my talk and I spoke about the science of kissing. And like, it went down really well and <laughs> all this. But then after me, like, this physics professor gets up and talks about something really abstract. And I was just like, I don't even know. I, I don't even understand what you're talking about. And then the guy from the Royal gets up, the consultant, and, and, and talks about this little boy. This really beautiful, like, poignant story about this little boy who had cancer and all this stuff. And then this other guy gets up and talks about um, sheep's stomach and how they kind of digest food and all. And I was sitting there being like, I've made yet again another terrible mistake. Like, I'm so embarrassed. I've got up and talked about, like, you know, whenever you want to kiss someone and what happens in your brain, your body, and also was mortified. And then after that, they they did the the whatever the the prize given and then they said that I had won that I had come first and I was like what the hell this is so random and I went up on the stage and then whenever I was up on the stage they said to me and this is great and now you're going to go on to represent Northern Ireland in the in the UK final and I was like uh, nobody told me about that part <laughs> nobody's nobody's mentioned this um so I kind of then was into this panic about this this UK final and then the kind of you know, after I after I won that Northern Ireland one, it was really weird for me because like people started ringing me and asking me about it, and people were asking me to go on the radio to talk about it, and like newspapers were ringing me saying like, can, can we put this in the newspaper about this this year from Straban who has like um thought it was like twenty two or twenty three at the time, so it was probably it was it was this was a really big competition. This is like a worldwide famous competition, but I didn't know that. I just thought it was some wee thing in Belfast that you know nobody would go to i didn't know it was it's actually this massive thing so people were calling me and then i started to kind of go on radio shows and stuff like that and um it was it was great it really really changed things for me and then then of course i went on to i went to that uk final to represent northern ireland and um again was so super anxious and awful stage fright and all that but i ended up winning that as well so then it was like i was this UK champion of the science communication competition and there were people who were at it who were like this is my this is my fifth year entering and all and I was like I've never even heard of this competition I don't even know what you're talking about you know um, so it was kind of it was a scary time for me and so much of us like that year was weird and then I ended up going to Cheltenham to where the the world like semi-finals were and then I won the world semi-final and then I had to go to the world finals and then I didn't win in that and but I, I did really really well and and I just, it was all like this really bizarre, weird dream. And I was a very strange person to be in the center of that dream because me standing on a stage talking about science is as far removed, I think, uh, from, from what anyone who knows me could ever imagine me doing, you know? Um, yeah, and it all just, everything kind of kicked off from there. But they've gone on one of those competitions and since then, um you performed at like for example TEDx, you've been to Edinburgh, I believe you've been to Poland and various different festivals all across mm -hmm. the UK and Ireland but it, you can trace it right back to that New Year's Eve party with a bit of Dutch courage in you. Oh. So oh, in, yeah. a, in a way you owe totally, your whole career 100%. to alcohol. 100%, <laughs> do you know what I mean? 100% and I mean I, I couldn't have like I think I, I, I was so nervous to do that video in a room on my own for three minutes so I just think it's, you know, I, one of the TEDx's I did was in Manchester, 
there's two and a half thousand people there and they had me on as the penultimate person and the person speaking after me was so, like some star out of game of thrones i've never seen game of thrones like but we were both standing together at the side of the stage and i was just like someone said to me that's your girl out of out of game of thrones and i was just like this is wild weird like this is so weird and then i just went on i was in this massive theater with these thousands of people and i was just like this is bizarre for me going back to that new year's eve party at in a room by myself with mm. the camera absolutely terrified you know and there was no one even there do you know what i mean so it is funny it's funny but it's been a, it's been a great journey you've been on and it's fantastic to see that development um, the shyness and the nerves are something you've, you've mentioned even going back to when you were forming those you know, bands in your younger years and now you're performing to hundreds or thousands of people do you still get the nerves and how do you cope with them oh definitely 100 percent. I, I i get really nervous um and it's especially recently because we're, we're doing things very differently to how we how we would have done them before so for anyone who's nervous that probably throws you off and it's strange because i would get i mean <clears throat> i could do something in front of two thousand people or i could do something in front of 10 people and i will be just as nervous for the for the 10 people i'd be just as nervous if there were two people there and i don't know if that's just a personality thing and now people always say to me oh my god you're so relaxed you know you're so laid back and i'm like i'm not i'm not laid back at all in my head like i, I couldn't imagine anyone more nervous you know and, and that um <clears throat> that film of uk that i did like i just had this real awful sensation of why am I here? And you know, everyone's gonna, everyone's, everyone's older than me. Everyone's gonna be smarter than me. Everyone's gonna be thinking, why is this person here? And what if it goes wrong? What if I forget my words and all this? And and you know, before that Fame Lab UK final, like they were looking for me for me to go on stage. Like I was downstairs being sick. I was so nervous. And I remember before, you know, before we had to walk over, <clears throat> I was just like, I can't leave the hotel room. And I was in total panic. I didn't even want to walk over with all the other people who were doing it because I was just like. I can't do this. And I, I probably have. I mean, this isn't a good thing for people to hear from a performer, but it might be good because I, I would love to hear if other comedians and things felt like this. It might make me feel much better. But the thing is, people, if someone sees me on stage and then someone talks to me after, I'm quite different. Um, so I've had people before, if I've done a really, really big gig, come and talk to me after. And people have said to me after, oh my God, you're, you're really... You're, you're very quiet, like you're much different to how you are on stage. So on stage, it's almost like I'm a, I'm a slightly different character and I'm a much more confident version of myself on stage. Whereas in real life, I'm quite quiet, do you know? And, I, and I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an introvert because I love socializing and being around my friends and things, but but I am, I am like a quiet person and, and reflective and all those things. And I think that's so different to, you know, someone who's on stage playing comedy songs. So I do get nervous because when I'm getting ready for something or when I'm waiting for something or preparing for something, I'm very much just me who is the person who has always been shy and the person who has always been quiet. Um, and then, you know, whenever a camera goes on or something like that or the stage goes on, it's almost like I have to slightly go into a little bit of a character. So I, I remember once I was doing a, recording a script at BBC and I remember they said to me, you know, oh, read out this trail for the script. And I, I was reading it out and they were like, 
well, can you do it like this? And I said, well, I'll try, but it's not going to sound how you're doing it. Because this was maybe like a like 50-year-old guy saying it and he had a much posher accent than me. And so I wasn't going to sound like him saying it, basically. And I said, well, I'll try, but it's not going to sound like that. But then they just said to me, we don't want you to be different. We want you to be you, but more you. So I feel like that's how I am on stage. Me, but more so me minus the quiet parts of me. Um, I mean, because on stage, if you're on stage for an hour, you're the command of the room and talking to the audience. If I'm with my friends for an hour, I maybe speak for about five minutes of that. I, otherwise, I just sit back and listen. So it is hard and it's, it's hard to control your nerves, I think. But I just try and think of, imagine how you're going to feel when it's, whenever it's all over. Imagine how good that feels. And I also try and go for it as well. Everything I've ever done up until this point has gone really well. So, you know, there's no reason to be having kind of all these anxious and negative thoughts. But um, I think people who have planned to be performers and planned to be comedians are people who are generally very confident and comfortable in front of a, an audience or a group. I never planned to be a performer or a comedian. Even when I was writing songs, I always thought I could maybe never perform them myself because of nerves mm. and things like that. So even the comedy that I do, it was all by accident from doing that competition and people saying, actually you're quite funny and um, but I never planned to do that so I don't think my personality is one that's kind of necessarily catered towards that where where does the kind of the shy introvert and in you create um, have you got a some sort of studio or like how do you work yeah well usually I'd be um usually I would just work at home but um recently I've moved into a new office on Lisburn Road so I've been doing kind of all my, my creating and my recording and everything like that from here. So it's, it, it's great, it's really, really, really good. And this is, this is one of the reasons I've, I wanted to speak to you. Is this on the back of you kind of leaving behind the quote unquote proper job? Because I know you, you have been working yeah. as a speech and language therapist and now you've gone, you've make, made that leap to go full time as a comedian entertainer. Yeah, yeah, so this is kind of, I, I moved in here after leaving speech language therapy. So I was a full-time speech and language therapist for a period of time. And then I went to part-time so I could kind of pursue all the other things that I do. Um, and then literally a month ago, I was just like, I'm going to focus on this, this creative stuff that I'm doing uh, and kind of leave the speech therapy behind. So that's what I've done. And yeah, I've been working away from here and, you know, getting on well and, and really, really enjoying it, basically. And one of the, the more recent songs you put out is about lockdown. Uh, but all the things that you can do to keep yourself busy while we're in lockdown. So we're in lockdown, stuck in quarantine. I'm socially distant, but I think I've always been. So here's some ideas to keep you occupied, to keep our souls happy while we're hanging out inside. Call up your sister, tell her she's got class. FaceTime your granny and agree it's terrible to cancel mass. WhatsApp your brothers, check their money's doing fine. Text your dad and suggest he pours your mother a glass of wine. Organize your cupboards, find some random herbs and spices. Discover you'll still never use that turmeric in this crisis. Look down the sofa for an extra bit of cash. We'll need it when this is over and we're all out on the lash. We're in luck. Down, stuck in quarantine I'm socially distant but I think I've always been so here's some ideas to keep you occupied to keep our souls happy while we're hanging out inside but I mean you have been extremely busy and one of the 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this from kind of a performer's point of view, whereas you've been hosting events online. And for me, that would be like, I can stand on stage and do some poems and all this and that and kind of you know, work a room as it were, but to do it online in a virtual world must be very difficult. Yeah, people are saying that, you know, it must be very hard and you don't have the room and the feedback of the room and all this. But for someone, for someone like me who does feel shy and things like that, being in the being in the middle of the room with with all these people, and it being so obvious that there's this kind of you know chasm between you and them, uh, and that you're that you're the focus of the attention. That's you know, I, I always do really well on stage, and you know I've never I've never done a gig where it hasn't gone down exceptionally well. But I mean, inside I think there'll always be that little bit of discomfort within me, and doing online events, I. Have felt probably slightly more comfortable because I'm kind of in my own space. There's, you know, you don't have. See, obviously, whenever you go to things, you're, you're doing your poetry. But, but I would imagine when you do your poetry, the, the most most of the sound check you might do is go up and check the mic. Mm. You know, whereas when I'm at things or hosting things, a lot of times they'll have me there hours ahead of time just because I've got a guitar. And the worst thing to do with someone who is nervous or who has a bit of stage fright is to bring them their hours in advance and make them wait with nothing to do other than think about how nervous they are. So um, I'm actually finding that me having this, so this this here actually where I'm talking to you from, because I know, know the listeners can't uh, see, but I'm you can kind of see my background and my shelves and all this. This is where I would live stream events from. Um, so I just have all my stuff, you know, set up and, and whatever. And I just kind of, get myself ready, nice and relaxed, and maybe do other work while I'm waiting. And I feel that that takes away some of the nerves. And then the other thing is, it's weird how friendly and comfortable people are over 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 Zoom. And the thing is, it's much more intimate than doing a gig. And that is making me feel more comfortable, actually. So say, for example, I've, I've done things online here for a couple of hundred people or I've been doing groups for different organizations where I'll do like a night, a party night, that will be like quiz and, and comedy and music. Um, and everyone has a drink and everyone, you know, people dress up and, and, and all this kind of thing. And it's really, it's very weird, but you feel like you're friends with everybody who's on the call. If it's a medium sized group. So say for example, I did a, I did a call on um, Friday and there was maybe 45 people and it was a company and they wanted like a party night, like quiz, comedy, music, all this thing. And if I was at a gig and there were 40 people there, you can kind of maybe see a couple of people who are up close to you, but you can't really see everyone else. So you can't see if they're smiling, you can't see if they're enjoying it. You can't, if someone turns and says something to their friends, you think, oh God, they, they don't like me or they're saying I'm not very good, whatever. Whereas on Zoom, you feel like you're on a Zoom with your mates and everyone is very engaged, you know, and people might be engaged at a gig, but you can't see everyone's faces. So it's different. Whereas on Zoom, you can see everyone's faces. There's some kind of level of comfort that people are in their house and people are really, really like weirdly open. And I thought when I started doing the Zoom events and stuff, I did some over Christmas and I did like, the week before Christmas, I did 16 events of them like in a row. And that was actually good for me from a, from a nurse point of view because it was like it was like desensitization type thing and i was going on like the call after call with company after company 
And everybody, like when you went on a call within five or 10 minutes, I thought people on Zoom would be really standoffish. I thought some people would be looking like they didn't want to be there. I thought people would be like, oh my God, not another Zoom thing. See, within five or 10 minutes, people would have their drinks flowing. People be like asking questions. People be shouting out answers, having jokes and all this. And there's a really relaxed atmosphere. And I actually think for, for me anyway, it's much more comfortable than going to do a conference in a hotel or something like that and I'm seeing it and the speaker comes up that you know it's it's much more relaxed and it just feels very very comfortable you know um and I can't believe how much how much people enjoy it and really really get involved I guess the only thing I can compare it to is just recently I've actually been hosting poetry workshops with the Dunkern and that's only with kind of eight or nine people but mm -hmm. before the first one I was really petrified just thinking yeah what's I don't know these people, all the things that could go wrong and all this, but I think people are just glad to see other people and connect and do something a little bit different. That's the thing. Like people are so connected. That's a really, that's a really good way to describe it. And people are so keen. Like see even that one I did there on Friday, like I did this wee, wee round where I asked people to run and get something. And one of the rounds was run and get something that means a lot to you in your house. Cause I thought that'd be funny. Cause I thought, you know, someone will lift their dog up to the camera. Someone will lift a bottle of gin. Someone will, you know, not lift their disgruntled partner. He'll be like, what, you know, why are you not choosing me? And I thought that'd be funny. And some people did do that, but then other people, like all these men who were on the call, um, picked these really beautiful items around their house and talked about how it was really important to them and reminded them of their family and you know about I was just and it was a really beautiful moment and everyone else who was on the call was like oh my god that's so lovely like that's so sweet and these people were really happy to tell like this was a party night out and they were telling these really lovely personal stories um, and apart from that kind of thing like with loads of crack everyone was up for doing whatever I'd asked them to do everyone was up for all the games and, and we also had like with loads of like loads of good stuff like with loads of like cash prizes loads of kind of things like that and people were just really up for it you know and and, and that one actually usually it's only about an hour and a half because i always think any longer online people will be like oh my god this is very long they were like can we keep going here can we keep going and we, we were on it for like nearly three hours do you know what i mean yeah. so it's yeah it is kind of people seem keen and connected and people seem very open to having like a an online type thing yeah well it's great that you're but we're able to do it and obviously you with the the interest in science and technology and all that that you're able to provide this platform to you know to do the event hosting but i know you've got one big gig in particular coming up this year so tell you want to tell us a wee bit about that yeah totally so um i have a gig coming up in the ulster hall um which is just majorly blown my mind uh so it's on the 16th i think of october and yeah i'm hoping it's gonna be good like it feels like a long it feels like a long time away now but i feel like it's just gonna rush right around and um, so i'm gonna be doing like a brand new stand-up show solo show and obviously over lockdown and things i've kind of written lots of new songs i didn't have before so my last big solo show was I had gone to Edinburgh Fringe to see if I wanted to be a comedian, basically. I had applied for some funding and said, hey, if they give me this funding, I'm going to be a comedian for a week and put on a show. <laughs> but I mean, I had no plans to be a comedian. That was just like people kept saying, hey, your songs are really funny. You should be a, be a comedian, you know, because I was writing kind of science comedy songs. And 
so I, I got this money went to Edinburgh Fringe and God had like I just had a great time still nervous and all that but everything went down really well and before I went I did like a practice show at the black box and it sold out really quick and like people were ringing up looking for tickets and like be, like it was just amazing and and I was like God I really you know I think I'm I think I'm good at this and then I did like a homecoming gig in November in the Strand Cinema um and it sold out as well super quick and it's just like a big party night and it was so lovely but then and, and I kind of then had kind of been starting to book lots of gigs and stuff but then lockdown happened um and I feel like I was getting my getting my weak comedian confidence you know having these gigs and stuff and then lockdown stopped it also this will be the first big gig really oh my god almost a year after that incredible gig um almost two years maybe um after that gig in in strand and obviously the one that i you know the show i did the black box and 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 then my friends and in strand that was all the same show um so the show this show that i'm going to do is going to have kind of new songs and um, it's going to have songs i've written during lockdown and songs i'm going to write specifically for the show um and then lots of kind of little banter between the songs as well you know so hopefully it'll be hopefully it'll be really good crack and i'm hoping um lots of people come and lots of people buy tickets uh because obviously when we're out of this i think everyone's gonna need kind of a good night out and a and a, and a big big laugh and everything so yeah um i'm hoping it's gonna be great <laughs> um no doubt it will be uh, um, is this the new show still based around this idea of science and trying to like teach people while entertaining them yes. at the same time <clears throat> So what I do usually with the comedy shows is, so I don't definitely don't focus it on the science. So the comedy that I would do would be, I mean, just very observational, just kind of telling stories, um, things that have happened to me in life, and then maybe singing a song about it. So there's not a big focus on science, but what I generally do is I might include a couple of facts in the intro to a song. Do you know what I mean? So for example, um, I, I sing a song about being a middle child. Uh, which is one of life's great travesties. Everyone will know who is a middle child. Uh, and in the intro for that, usually I would talk about, you know, some what some studies say, say about a middle child. You know, st studies say that middle children are more likely to be be the peacemaker because they've grown up as that role from childhood and, and that kind of thing, and, and talk about the facts. Um, and sometimes I'll talk about the facts kind of from a psychology point of view, but it's more that I, instead of going in with hard science, it's more just, you know, every so often I might throw in a little fact that kind of adds to you know why I'm doing this song or kind of just adds to the narrative a little bit so I yeah I just tend to throw a little fact in here and there because just because I find that I find that interesting you know. One of the most interesting facts actually that came from your science of love talk that I watched was about the red lips coming from like the red berries. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that um I hadn't even thought about why humans are so attracted to red but this is Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's oh. about how humans used to go and look for berries to eat and it made the lips red yeah, and this yeah, is the... Yeah. So, yeah, so how, how it works, how it works usually is um, it's not so much about the, the colour the color on the lips, it's more that whenever, you know, our ancestors would go, you know, foraging and things into the forest to, to look for berries, what they would usually be looking for would be red berries and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, bright berries to distinguish that those are the food, but they would have to kind of go hunting. 
um, for these bright colored berries, like red berries amongst kind of green leaves and, and foliage and things like that. So every time they would find like a little red berry to eat, then in their, in their, their head and in their brain, they would kind of realize, well, you know, red, red is a reward, you know, red is food, red is something positive. Um, and, and once you kind of activate the, the reward centers of your brain, you do get things like, like an increased heart rate. Um, and that can lead to, you know, like excitement, uh, feelings of excitement and things like that. So then over time, humans have kind of come to, you know, associate red with rewards. So um, I always say that that's why places like McDonald's and KFC use red because, you know, it kind of, uh, for sake of a better word, it arouses humans. Uh, and it kind of it kind of makes you see that and think, oh God, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling something. I must I must want a KFC or a McDonald's. Um, and even, even things like Coke. So it kind of can cause excitement and, and raise the pulse and it can give you those feelings that are associated with excitement. And then you then associate whatever you're seeing in red as a, as a positive thing. And I know some people obviously see red as a, a danger color, like red ragged bull and all that kind of mm. thing. But um, if you think about how you'd feel responding to danger, it's the same thing, you know, an increased heart rate and um, excitement, which can, you know, excitement and, and nerves can kind of be the same thing, you know, anticipation and all that. So um, biologically, they can they can feel the same. It's just how you how you kind of decipher what they are. So it is really interesting. And then over time, obviously, um, if red is a reward, then red can be can be used as a, a, a means of arousal for other things. So uh, there was a great study that said um, men tip waitresses in red much more than tip, than they would tip a waitress who was in white, um, which I just thought was I just thought was amazing. Uh, so it is it is really interesting. And then obviously that's you know we have such a a weird affinity with this color red. Like people associate red lipstick as sexy. People associate a woman in a red dress is, is attractive and even even things like the red light district you know we have a lot of kind of connections with that red but I, I think it comes from that evolutionary act of of seeing the red amongst those green leaves and having a light bulb going off in your head and thinking excitement this is food this is great you know yeah I actually I did a uh, walking tour of the red light district once and all about is that, is that where is that what uh, we're calling it? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I was I was on a just a weekend break with a girlfriend at the time, and we did this walking tour. And apparently, they use the red lights in Amsterdam as well because the red doesn't show up the blemishes on the skin. Everyone looks quite um, oh be really beautiful and I must I must install a couple of red lights. <laughs> here. Yeah, so there's some advice oh, for the, the podcast listeners. Yeah, get some red lights around your house. Totally. Might get the wrong That's impression amazing. to the neighbors, but yeah. Uh, but, it's, it's, but your skin will look fabulous. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, and the, of all these big shows you've done and are continue, continuing to do, uh, would you have any advice for up and coming aspiring songwriters or comedians, uh, things that you've learned along the way, like maybe one or two tips that you could offer? My biggest tip would probably be anyone can do it like I think that is the biggest lesson anyone should learn from from me being on a stage and performing um I always I mean I've always felt like I've had the talent to do it um and the skills to do it but I know a lot of people can get in their own way in terms of nerves and, and, and being in their own head and things like that but honestly I always say to people who are nervous you couldn't be more nervous than I was or than I am at times and I can do it 
and the world hasn't kind of exploded around me. So if you do have nerves and things like that, try not to let that stop you. Push ahead, do it once or twice um, and see how you feel. So I, I, I do think we miss out on a lot of specific personality types in the performing sphere because those personality types are maybe more reserved or maybe you know more anxious or more nervous so then we don't get to see what those people have to offer but if I had a if I had have kind of let that keep me back then I wouldn't have done any of the things that I've done so I think putting yourself forward um no matter what just to see how you get on and the other thing is it sounds really cliche but just be yourself um like because no matter where I go to perform I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always the odd one out, you know, no, <laughs> whether it's whether it's because it's me and, and, and all these lovely guys or whether it's because I'm with people who've been doing it for years and I'm quite new to it or whether it's because everyone's so confident and I'm so nervous or whatever the reason might be. Um, but I, I do think you shouldn't really try to be your, you know, try to be anyone else. And I know, obviously, I, I use that advice, be yourself, but more. And I always don't want people to, just like I had done that time, I don't want people to misinterpret that as be someone else or be something you're not, but just be yourself, but amplify the parts of yourself that you want people to see. Um, and if there are things about you that are quirky or different or whatever, I wouldn't change those things. You know, a lot of people say to me, if they book me to host an event, oh, we were looking for, we were looking for a, a, a quirkier host this year. Or we were looking for someone a bit more alternative or someone with a different vibe. So like that has got me lots and lots of bookings. So I think that's positive. And if you're a little bit different, people will, people will remember you, you know, you don't want to be like someone will say, oh, oh, remember, remember Emer, And then they'll, they'll, they'll get a picture of, you know, these 10 people in their head who could all be the same person because they're all so alike. Do you know, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing to be different. And if you are naturally a little bit different, um, which, which I feel I am, then kind of just, just stick with that and, and be yourself and you'll be, you'll be, you'll be someone's kind of cup of tea, I think. So those are my two things. Do it anyway and, and be yourself. Brilliant advice. Uh, and if people do want to check you out, where can they do that? Um, I was going to say Tinder there, but that was going to be very, very <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I'm not even on it. Um, if people want, to, if people want to check me out, they can um, get dirty looks there from from other half. Uh, they can find me on. I'm on Facebook and everything. So if they just look me up on Facebook uh, at Emer McGuire, and then on Instagram, I'm at Emer McGuire official, and on Twitter, I'm at Emer M official. So you can kind of you can kind of find me on all those those platforms and, and follow me. And, be friends with me <laughs> definitely and i recommend people do that and get tickets for the ulster hall show 100 percent. get tickets so it's not just me and my mass looking at each other for a half to be well awkward <laughs> and then just one last question is there a straban strabanistan way to say goodbye oh good question my mom has said a couple of times on the phone see you later alligator but i really feel like she has not invented that um <laughs> is there is there a Straban way to say goodbye. I feel like it's the the, the traditional um, Irish way of saying goodbye, which is just the all right now, right then, right, be good, right, all right, bye 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 bye. All the best, all the best, good luck, see you later. All the best, all the best, good luck, see you later. I was good, yeah, yeah, goodbye, bye 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 bye. Yeah, I think that's that's maybe it. I mean, we should probably 
copyright that or, or trademark that instrument. Um, but I, I'd, I'd say I'd say that is a without saying anything more uh, offensive or um, crude than that. I'd say that's usually the way that we would say goodbye, <laughs> <laughs> or just get the out of my house. Um, yeah, we've probably we've probably we've probably got a few. Yeah. Who are you? What are you doing here? Get out. <laughs> exactly. Why are you in my Why are you in my living room? Yeah, we've never met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we start our long goodbye, I will say thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been lovely and very enjoyable. Definitely, and I look forward to seeing you in the real world again soon. Hopefully. Hopefully so. Thank you again to Emer and be sure to check Emer out online especially to hear the full versions of those songs and indeed some of the science talks that she's given as well as they're well worth a watch. As regular listeners will know I always finish the podcast with a poem and this episode is no different. However before I do I'd like to mention something that I should have mentioned in the introduction which is that as well as hosting the video podcast next week I'll also be hosting a poetry event at Imagine Festival. It's going out this Monday coming, which is the 22nd of March at 9pm and will feature the wonderful poetic voices of Elizabeth McGone, Nandi Jula and Abby Oliveira. And Abby, you might remember, was my very first podcast guest way back in October. So I'm really only there to host the event, but I might throw in one or two poems as well just to keep my end up, as it were. As with the video podcast, tickets for that event are also free and can be ordered from imaginebelfast.com. But now the podcast poem and this poem is called Alfonso and it is part social commentary and it is part tribute to the actor and entertainer Alfonso Ribeiro. If you don't know who that is, fear not as all will become clear during the poem. Alfonso. No doubt there are folk who are worse off. The homeless immediately spring to mind. Take a stroll through city centre streets and see for yourself. Just keep a safe distance and beware not to make eye contact. People using food banks. There's another. A nice man on the news said that's on the rise and not just for adults. Around half a million children in the UK receive food handouts every year. Presumably it's much worse overseas. Imagine how all those refugees feel. Fleeing war and persecution. Leaving behind their homes and families and possessions and just running for their lives. No question they are in more deplorable situations. But aside from the homeless, people using food banks, refugees and the folks with critical illnesses, aside from all of those poor critters, the person I feel sorriest for is Alfonso Ribeiro. Every so often he'll be invited to participate in a light entertainment chat show. But no one genuinely wants to know his story. They just ask meandering questions until they can ask him to do the Carlton dance. And Alfonso will swing his arms and hips as the audience claps and cheers, and he'll smile. That beautiful smile, the same one which melted Joanne's heart in Series 4, Episode 5 of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, when Carlton lost his virginity and couldn't wait to tell Will. But, as always, there was a lesson to be learnt. Unfortunately, it wasn't that food banks should not exist in a first-world nation whose GDP is £2.8 trillion. Of course, sat on a bright studio sofa, Alfonso was never allowed to discuss social or political issues, even in regard to his home country. But why won't they ask about his other acting jobs, or his brief forays into directing? 
Did you know that he played the sought-after role of Moon Goon Number 1 in the direct-to-video animated comic science fiction mystery film Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase? I guess we care about that less even than the homeless. And are you aware that Alfonso starred in, and against all odds, won Series 19 of Dancing with the Stars, with unanimous perfect scores in the final show? I left that pause for you to applaud. It's unlikely you'll be in Alfonso's company, but it's still good to send positivity into the ether. Perhaps then Alfonso has it right all along. That's why he performs the Carlton dance on cue, and why he presents America's funniest home videos. It may not explain anything about the homelessness, or the food banks, or the refugees, or the sick, or about anything at all. But with all the problems in the world, we could all do with something to smile about. And that poem is included in my forthcoming book, which also explains nothing at all about anything. But that may be one of its unique selling points. Anyway, that's enough rambling for me for one episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure you get your tickets for the events next week. Go Team Dunkern. And goodbye, farewell, auf Wiedersehen and toodaloo.